everybody. Welcome to the BAT Podcast. This is Randy Nonnenberg here with Howard Swig. Howard, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Great. Good to be back again. Uh, we had a fun one last week with the Sludjo interview. That got a bunch of people riled up and excited. And today we're going to talk about race cars. We're excited to talk about race cars. Yeah, no, we got some awesome feedback uh, on our episode on project cars. So we were kicking around some ideas uh, in that vein. And... Race cars and vintage racing are something near and dear to me and Randy. Um, it's always been uh, an interest of ours, driving, spectating, participating, and attending events. So uh, this is a topic that could probably stretch over many, many podcasts, but we thought it was uh, definitely worthwhile to, to chat about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you have to be you know, a hardcore FIA licensed racer or pro racer or something like that to have an interest in this part of uh of our site and the car universe like i'm a pretty terrible driver i've done a couple of uh driving schools did skip barber did Derek daly back in the day uh in vegas in formula cars uh all the instructors said i was way too risk averse and super slow in the corners <laughs> and uh but i loved it it was super fun and I still like getting out to the track. I love spectating. I love the scene in the pits. I love crewing for folks, right? Like schlepping tires around or tools around. I'm much better at that than I am at driving. Uh, But Howard, you have kind of the opposite story. You've spent a bunch of time on track in all different sorts of cars. Is that right? That's true. Derek Daly, just to go back. I don't even know. You lost me on that. I'm too old for that or too young for that, I should say, even though you're not that much older than me. I knew I could do Jim Russell, you know, obviously Bondurant and... uh, and skip, but um, you yeah, know I've been fortunate to uh, get a bunch of seat time in old cars. Um, I uh, again was fortunate to have a family that allowed me access to that. I actually my first vintage race was in a 1931 Chrysler, um, which I think is a good place to start because you learn about uh, primitive equipment and developing sympathy for using that equipment and, uh, you know, makes it easier to move up the, move up the ladder, so to speak. Um, I started doing that in my early twenties. Um, it was funny to go to, that's like group one a is the pre-war cars. So I was, you know, 24 showed up at the, you know, group one, a driver's meeting and, uh, it's mostly dudes in their seventies and eighties. And, uh, I show up and that's, uh, I was, joshing around with those guys because they're like, yeah, you're bringing down the average age of our group by, you know, a meaningful amount here. Half a century, uh, totally. right? Yeah. And I'm like, you guys are like as old as the cars we're driving. So <laughs> I don't know if that's awesome or, or terrifying. Um, but yeah, no, Randy and I are down at uh, Monterey is kind of the Indy 500 of, of vintage racing uh, in the U.S. So we're, um, we're stoked that we just have a, a, a short ride over there to check that out every year. Um, we've hosted some cool BAT events there. Um, I've been lucky enough to drive at that event uh, seven or eight times now. Um, but no, the whole vintage racing scene and underworld is something that we think is super interesting. So we're going we're gonna to knock out a few, uh, a few topics on this, and I'm sure uh, people listening would have uh, their own questions and things to share. Yeah, and it's really, you know, the, the diversity in those sort of paddocks is really crazy. You talk about 31 Chrysler. I mean... Uh, you start there and then you get into, you know, four cylinder cars, momentum cars or sub one liter sports cars. Right. And then you get into, you know, the beasts that are out there that these 
just wild men are driving, you know, whether they're Can-Am cars or Formula 5000 cars or stuff that really wants to kill you on track. And, uh, and you go to these events and most of them have a good mix of that. And then there's some super, I think, easy access points like Formula Ford or, uh, I mean, Formula V, if you really want to want to go that route or um, some of these sports cars. You spend some time in a Datsun 510 on track, which I've always said is just a cool model to get you uh, out there and doing laps. Um, you're, you're one that you drove is pretty special with history and that sort of stuff. But, you know, going and finding a either a project race car or a uh you know cool 60s 70s 80s four-cylinder race car doesn't have to totally break the bank and you can end up putting it on track and so we want to talk about vintage racing there's also you know track days a lot of cars bought on vat are used at track days uh there's club racing there's obviously pro type uh racing that happens and runoffs and scca and different sorts of stuff there's so many ways you could talk about this um, but yeah, we like steering towards the kind of cars we see transacting on BAT, but also events, right? Like what events are near you? What tracks are near you? Uh, what's going on there? A fun thing that I always like doing is just go into the website of a lot of tracks that you like or that are close to you and looking at the calendar, right? There'll be a, there'll be a moto race, then there'll be an open track day on some weekday, and then there'll be a, maybe a legit IndyCar thing once a year, and then there'll be a couple vintage things sort of sprinkled in. Uh, and figuring out what's going on around the track uh, in your region uh, is pretty cool and a cool way to start seeing some cars you may not have seen before. Yeah, and what you said is so true. Those, those um, you know, more approachable groups and classes tend to have the biggest fields and be the most competitive, like the opposite. Uh, you mentioned F5000. Like they did an F5000 race at Monterey a few years ago. And to put that together, like you got to get all the cars from New Zealand and ship them to wherever you're going to host the race. Like that's the opposite of a right Formula Ford or B sedan uh, group. Uh, yeah, so I've uh, in the last few years gotten in with the B sedan crowd in California. Uh, I've rented a, a Datsun 510 to drive, and that's like so awesome, like so competitive. That's like Datsun 510s and Alpha GTVs and BMW 2002s, and that's like the closest you get to like a vintage equivalent of like a spec Miata race. Um, Driving ability is, is pretty high, super competitive. The cars are like, I think most vintage cars have gotten uh, faster with age, right? These, all these cars today are way quicker and more uh, well-prepared than they were whenever they raced in period. This little 510 I drive is like 190 horsepower at the wheels with big 50 Weber carburetors. And uh, man, I remember I showed up for the, uh, driving it for the first time. And I've driven some race cars, never, nothing, anything too serious. Not that a 510 is so serious, but it has like a full racing clutch in it. And I hadn't had that much experience with that, like total like on-off light switch. So I show up, never drove the car before, Thursday, drive it over to Tech. I'm there with the pit crew, you know, meeting everyone. They say, okay, Howard, why don't you hop in the 80 car, drive it over to the pit lane. So I get in it and can bear, can't even get the thing out of the pits. Uh, just trying to work this clutch and, and, you know, everyone's waiting on me. So I'm like, oh God, you know, I'm in this, this is like the main event in the feature race and I can't even <laughs> get this thing five feet in front of me. So I ended up getting it figured out. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, and all of them are different, right? I mean... Uh, you go from car to car if you're, you know, racing different sorts of vehicles or different classes. And yeah, every clutch is different. Every, every set of handling is different. Every weak point uh, is different on all the different cars. And that's, that's something to watch uh, drivers navigate 
um, in really cool ways. A really versatile driver can jump in a bunch of different cars and, and drive them. And there's a ton of experience in those paddocks, right? You're talking about being a first timer on that sort of deal. Uh, for better or worse, you may line up on the grid next to a guy who's been racing his 510 for 38 years and like totally. has done, like knows every bolt on the car and every uh, aspect of the car. You're, you're next to John Norman, who actually drove his GTV in 1972 series, like next to John Morton. So yes, they're all they're all out there. Yeah. So those those races are super fun to watch, and uh, people are pretty willing to to go after it a little bit. But I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, you're talking about just start with B-Sedan. Man, there's so many layers to this. I'm realizing while we're talking about it. Um, I mean, you can be running a super premier event like um, like Monterey. And then there's, you know, a whole calendar of like Vera events, V-A-R-A, right? And then there's uh, events in different regions and HSR. And then there's all, there's all these things that can kind of seem a little bit unwieldy to figure out what's going on, who's doing what, what cars are legal. I talked to West Coast racer guys and they talk about like the East Coast rules and the West Coast rules, different styles of driving. Uh, and that's before you even start to, you know, peel it back and talk about like what's going on, uh, call it overseas, right? I mean, guys that are vintage racing over there, bringing a car over here. So anyway, there's, there's a ton to this, but what's good, maybe not true at Monterey, but what's good almost every place is it seems like People are excited to get new entrants, to get young entrants, to get different cars. Um, if you just purchased a car, you know, you can do some, uh, some rounds of uh, whether it's at a school or sort of a track organization that you can go and get some laps under your belt and then start to sort of steer towards these um, cooler events that you've maybe been a spectator at and could actually go drive in. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, Club-level racing programs in every region has, I don't know if it's exploded, but it's definitely picked up in the last five or ten years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there are there are uh, cheaper hobbies than vintage racing, but um, it is something that's gotten, I think, relatively more affordable and accessible. And, uh, yeah, some of these local club groups, like you can go out and, you know, drive a, you know, late 90s Formula Mazda or, or you know all these uh, you know all these more kind of accessible race cars that there's enough of them that have survived and that people are actually buying and preparing to put a race group together mm-hmm. um, and yeah mm-hmm. the, the, the younger generation is a big part of it right like the the, the group 1A drivers meeting in 2012 in Monterey like that's not the future of racing and if that is then it's it's in trouble uh, but the good news is um uh, there is a lot of interest, and you see that in the in the in the groups and types of cars, right? Monterey or, or any of these uh, any of these big events. Thirty years ago, like most of the or a, a big portion of the grids were pre-war to 1960s cars, and now a lot of that um, has diminished. And they still got the great right, like big bore 60s group with with vets and mustangs. Um, but so many uh, more groups now are devoted to later cars from the 70s to the 2000s, and um, those are frankly cars that are more exciting to watch as a spectator. They're much safer to drive. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of sad that some of the older stuff, you know, gets phased out to a degree, but, you know, I understand it, and it's part of the, you know, it's part of the cycle of life of this stuff. Yeah, I think it's uh, super cool but highly unusual that you – uh, had a seat in a you know 30s era American race car, right? I mean, I don't think 
uh, a, a lot of people have that experience, but a lot of people are, are sort of resurrecting those cars and keeping them on track. I think it's kind of unfortunate. Maybe, maybe in the UK or someplace else, um, there's a little bit more interest in that really early stuff. But um, I think the stuff that you know really resonates with so many people at many of these events is, um, yeah, 50s, 60s, 70s, getting into the 80s. In the recent years, even at, at uh, some of the bigger events, started to see like 90s and 2000s, like touring cars or Trans Am, uh, you know, Mustangs or weird like Cougars or Oldsmobiles, right? These cars um, that like Tommy Kendall and these guys were racing. uh, And I was watching on ABC Sports when I was a kid, right? Those cars, Valvoline, Sponsor and and all this sort of stuff are out there. Um, And those are now vintage. And those people are I don't know who's building those or maintaining those or, or bringing those out, but I think they kind of put a concerted effort together because you don't want to have like one of those against some other group and it's this sort of mishmash. The cool part is when you can actually get, call it 10 of those cars together and it, it really is reminiscent of an old grid um, and, and that magic uh, that we used to see on racetracks and on TV back then so i i've i've seen an effort to do that a couple guys are bringing over you know e30 bmw touring cars and mercedes touring cars those are starting to like trickle in uh to the u.s and there's guys in the pacific northwest running those but they're they're still kind of cars without a home like if you get two of those on the same track it's a miracle but what everybody wants is the youtube videos of dtm where there's like 45 of those on a track and that's really really hard to get in the u.s um there's some activity in germany like that but anyway the newer stuff is is equally fun to watch i would say um and uh, it's it's kind of this burgeoning sort of part of vintage racing that we're starting to see Totally. Yeah. Huge level of interest in the last few years and like what you were saying, 80s and 90s era IMSA cars. I think IMSA is actually the uh, is actually the featured mark at Monterey this upcoming year. Um, super cool to see a grid of those. Uh, the Master Series, they're kind of Halo is their F1 deal, but they do so much other stuff. Um, whereas something like an old 911 Cup car or a 355 challenge car was just a paperweight. Now there's actually a series that you can go out and race those around the country and around the world. So um, as all this stuff evolves, stuff that, uh, you know, the old thing, there's nothing older than, than last year's race car. But, uh, you know, as, as the hobby evolves, now there's, there's stuff popping up and you can actually, you can actually use them. Yeah. So that's, that's super cool to see. And I think that, so there are many cars on BAT that you I don't know, may qualify for some of those events. We've certainly sold cars that would qualify for absolute top tier events. But there's also cars that are sort of track prep, like a modern Boxster or a modern S2000. Or, you know, guys are still tearing interiors out of these cars and slapping numbers on the side or just trying to, you know, go do time attack and work on their skills and and set some sort of, you know, personal bests at a few different tracks um, and do it more as as a hobby. Um, and we see a lot of those cars on BAT, right? And um, obviously some models cater to that more uh, more than others. But it's cool to see people still getting after that. And do you have any experience with that? Or you have you seen uh, any of those cars and, and uh, see that they have sort of a future as a track car? Yeah, I would say more generally from my seat, like uh, race cars are among the hardest types of cars to sell because, you know, by definition, it's a narrow market for them. Um, certainly some of the dual purpose stuff, like people got their S2000 or their 944 or their 968 or whatever it is, 
um, and they've modified it in such a way that they can go take it, you know, to a HPD event on the weekend, but, but you know, drive it during the week or whatever they're going to do. Um, but yeah, vetting uh, submissions for race cars is super interesting. And uh, obviously they can, there is, this is a whole topic in and of itself. Um, but yeah, they can be hard to sell some guys like, I always think the funny thing is like, oh, I can sell it with you guys at this reserve or not, or I'll, I'll just go stick it on, you know, racingjunk.com. And, you know, I'm sure I don't know much about racing junk, but it seems like it's, you know, kind of like a graveyard for race cars. Like it's difficult. It's like, oh, I got my 77, you know, Chrysler Cordoba F production car. I don't know, you know, waiting around for the right guy for it. Um, you know, that's a, that's an extreme example, but um, we've sold some really awesome Can-Am cars. Like, I love Can-Am cars, but, like, let's be honest, the amount of people that want to strap themselves into a McLaren M8F, like, that's a pretty small segment of the population. Um, but we've had uh, some M8Cs, M8Fs, um, and, you know, you stick it on BAT, and, and for some of that stuff, you need as, as wide an audience <laughs> as possible. Um, but, no, I, I love uh, – we've, we've sold some really neat cars. I mean, favorites. We had a Porsche 962 a few years ago. Uh, I think a Chapman tub car, that was super awesome. Uh, we've most recently had, uh, probably the most significant race car we've ever sold uh, was that uh, C7R Pratt & Miller uh, Corvette factory race car that uh, won its class at, I think, Le Mans, Daytona. Uh, Randy, you were fired up about that. Yeah, a lot of people reached out to me about that one. Um, just a real landmark uh, sale, and you don't, you don't see those cars. You don't see those cars offered. Uh, you see a lot of vintage race cars, right? Like, I mean, if you're watching, you can find a even a 962 for sale, or you can find a, you know, Schumacher era, uh, Ferrari F1 car for sale. But, you know, those yellow, um, factory supported Corvette race cars that were just really iconic and dominant, um, you know, in a bunch of different eras, right? I mean, I think they were running those yellow factory cars, C4, 5, 6, 7. I mean, it was like a, it was like a dynasty of sorts, um, to catch one of those for sale, uh, is super unusual, and those cars were so highly developed. And I'm I'm biased towards uh, you know front engine Corvettes. I like the front engine ones better than the new ones that have just come out. Um, that's my personal thing. So to see that one, that was sort of the final evolution of that, and that was like a winning car and that sort of stuff. So to see that sell and to go gangbusters, so you have to wonder, right? So so who's who's buying that car? I don't even know the individual, but I'm like, what profile of person is buying? an 800k IMSA champion sort of super high horsepower car. That's not a car that you, you know, and your, your two cousins go take to the racetrack and go try to race it, right? I mean, I don't even know the systems on board there, but I mean, is that thing getting like full brake replacement like halfway through races and stuff? I mean, the, the expense to run that and the expertise required, it's, it's not like some sort of joke, like showroom stock sort of car, right? I mean, that, that thing is super serious. You got to show up with 15 people to race that car. And who's doing that? It's probably not as intensive as, as racing Schumacher's 2000 F1 car, which probably requires a team of 45 people to run it. Um, but yeah, no, that, uh, I wonder, man, I, I actually just pulled it up. I'm trying, I'm trying to go through the listing in real time to, to answer the questions you're asking. But uh, yeah, I mean, that thing, there was three or four guys bidding on it. Um, I feel like, you know, if, if that's the level, if that's the end of the pool that you're swimming in, you know, there's, it's great. There's this whole cottage industry of, of, preparing and supporting race cars and uh i think you know that's very healthy uh broadly speaking yeah i mean i think we're spoiled around here right we know that you know canapa is up up the hill from here and 
virtuoso performance is close to here. These are these are the types of guys that are like turnkey at the vintage race weekends. Like you show up and drive your highly exotic car, and they'll like make it happen for you know writing some big check. And I guess that's how that works. But it's a little bit foreign to me how that works. But I think that uh, yeah, I'm always just fascinated. Like where's that car going to go? I mean, honestly, it's it's. There's also the other end of the spectrum where that car could be like museum grade, right? I mean, that could go to the whatever Daytona Museum and be a legit entrant, or that could go to Detroit to the you know CEO of you know whatever GM or one of their suppliers who's like a GM super fan and and uh, was into it, or it could go back to Pratt and Miller. We hear stories about where these things go. Sometimes I always am a total optimist. I'm like that car's going to get on track. We'll see that car on track somewhere, and it may or or it may not, but. It's always fascinating to think about who's looking for those cars. And I'm always thinking of the like very compact team, you know, the single car trailer. Um, and, you know, like you and me, Howard, like they're like kind of shoestringing it together, trying to get this thing, you know, ready to go for the run group. But obviously there's a lot of people that run racing as seriously as they run other uh, operations in their life. And uh, it's, a, it's a serious deal for some folks, even in the vintage realms. No, you yeah. want you, your 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 dream is is the Bev Spencer towing his GTO with his whatever that is his sixty five caddy. Yeah, no, it was Riviera. He was Buick. There it he is. was Buick. So that was a Riv. We've got a picture in the BAT office of a Riviera Buick Riviera, the Buick Ferrari dealer here in San Francisco towing a uh, two fifty GTO on the back of it. And I mean, yeah, my dream is a little little more outdated, perhaps you know, single axle trailer with a. With a lightweight race car on it, or a you know 550 Spider Porsche being towed behind, uh, you know some sort of you know wagon or van, some sort of modest vehicle. Obviously, you cruise into vintage race paddocks these days, and there's you know million dollar transporters like supporting some of this high end stuff, uh, and it's awesome and it's wonderful to see. And I love that people invest in it the way that they do. Um, but yeah, my I look at it through such a nostalgic lens that you're right. I, I love I love just sort of eking your way in and those old stories of you know people that were kind of taking their borrow the family car to take the race car to the track sort of stuff is also cool to see and you still see that and I actually laugh my head off when I see that right you'll roll uh, to a vintage race event and there'll be people there with open trailers right and they're like craftsman toolbox in the back of their you know F-150 and they're just putting it together right and and I respect that uh, in huge ways and and actually love seeing what those cars can do Um, talk to me about is it about winning? Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's a good topic. What you said is so true. The vintage event paddocks now are are littered with huge big rigs, and it makes sense, right? It, it's it, as time marches on, it requires more people and resources to keep these things going. Um, but I always think back to like you know, vintage racing kind of was born kind of in the mid seventies, and when you think back. Uh, like the cars that were running in those races, like they were 15 or 20 years old, like the great 50s race cars that were kind of retired or, you know, hung out to dry. And, you know, a small group of guys had an interest and they started, at least in California, running vintage races in 1974, 75. Fangio came to Monterey. He was like there. That was 91. I remember that. That was 91. Is that right? Well, I was like three years old. I do remember the Fangio year. You remember it. I love it. I was not there for that one. I would have been a little kid and I missed that one. But yeah, I mean, that's... That's what vintage race. I don't think there was really anybody there. It was pretty low key, but like a huge star like that came and and was totally. Yeah, I was. We were talking. I always think of like, you know, a car that ran in vintage racing at the 1976 Monterey Historics. Like that's like its own version of like period race history now. Like it's crazy. 
Um, and I always loved the 50s and 60s stuff, like the, the grids from up until probably the early 2000s, like the 50s grids were, you know, 250 TRs and 300S Maseratis and Jag D-types and like talk about the spectacle of vintage racing, like, and, and you appreciate it more now that it isn't really around anymore, but you don't get those grids anymore and you never, those will never come back, but dropping the green flag on 30 of all like the best thoroughbreds from, from mid late fifties, like that's so incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still get that a little bit in Europe at places like Goodwood and elsewhere, but um, yeah, man. So yeah, we, we have great events uh, in NorCal. So when I've, you know, done car events, I will often, you know, we don't have, I, as we covered in a previous podcast, I don't have much ability to wrench. So I would like drive the car to the track, uh, what, the CD8 or a 52 Chrysler Saratoga. And whatever, bring a box of tools as if I'm going to use them, like some rags, maybe some zip ties, you know, whatever. <laughs> got a zip tie a transponder on or whatever. And I remember last time I did it, a couple of years ago, like I just parked in the pit stall, just the car in my like box. And like one of the a couple of guys in there came up to me like, hey, like, are you okay? <laughs> like, do you need help? <laughs> You're and like, I, do I look like I need help? Like, am I coming apart here? Why'd they ask that? But well, like, I was like, totally like, like stuck out like a sore thumb, right? Like my pit, my, my 10 by 15 pit space had one car in it and like two folding chairs. And that's how kind of how it was like in the early days. Uh, but yeah, not so much anymore. So uh, I guess, you know, I, I told him I, I'm okay. If something breaks, you know, I'm not going to, there's no one here to fix it anyways. So, you know, I'm just here to have a good time. But I love it. That's a good story. Um, yeah, anyway, you get all types. You get all types in these sort of paddocks. You get all types of cars. You get all types of people. You get all types of approaches. Um, oh, you, and yeah, back, asked, to, back to about winning, though. I think it's super interesting, right? Because I think there's some of that East Coast, West Coast difference in approach. Um, yeah, I mean, I was stoked when I went to Goodwood and guys are like, you know, banging, you know, GTOs into, into Zagato Astons. Like, like, it's not that big a deal. And here, I mean, I've heard, I mean, you're in the driver's meetings. I've never been in any of these driver's meetings. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of contact. It's, it seems a little bit mellower. Uh, in the high, high dollar stuff, sometimes it seems like they're kind of laying off, which is appropriate. Um, but, yeah, what's, what's the sense of it? Are there, are there egos and are there trophies and are there, you know, legacy behind this stuff? Or are these guys going out to, to you know, just keep the tires round on these things so they don't totally atrophy? Definitely depends on the group. I think some groups uh, are definitely more of the kind of racing exhibition mentality, right? The guys in their XK120s and, and Heelys and TDs, they're, they're not so bit out of shape about winning the race. But yeah, like the B-Sedan group, for example, definitely very competitive. People are definitely, you know, running over to look at their lap times, see where they qualified. Oh, it's, we're doing an inverted grid. Oh, no, come on, you know, race store. We don't want that. Um, and then, yeah, the, the big boys, uh, you know, the, the F1 guys, I mean, yeah, and let's be honest, if, if you're driving a vintage F1 car, well, like you have some chops and yep. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it depends on the group, but yeah, there's definitely still, there's definitely still people that are out there to get after it and you know, they want that, they want that bowling trophy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we have some West coast bias, you and I, but yeah, I've, I've heard different sorts of things about the rules and. You know, the rules are a little bit more steered towards modification or, 
you know, veering away from sort of historical correctness on the East Coast. So those guys, that breeds like a different type of racing because the brakes are all upgraded and the displacement. The roller rocker debate. I don't even, yeah, I I imagine, (laughs) right? I mean, you know, I mean, everybody's got a 289 Ford, but, you know, some guys have 150 more horsepower than the other guys. Obviously, that creates a different sort of environment. So I I always think that's sort of weird and uh, interesting. And But the guys in the know... Um, you know, a lot of them are super willing to talk about their cars. They're willing to talk about their experience. Some of these are like race car types, like bravado types that are a little tough to tough to pull up a chair with. But there's a there's a bunch of them that I've found, and honestly, BAT kind of gave me this inroad because I, I wasn't just some random dude wandering the pits like I was for uh, a couple decades. I could at least name drop BAT and they'd be like, oh, okay, you're not, you're not a totally terrible, you know, uh, uh, ignorant who knows what. Maybe you know one or two things or could help me turn this torque wrench. So I got invited into a couple pits where guys are talking, yeah, like, you know, what the, what the 356 Porsche group is like and who's way out in front and why. And a little bit of, like, gossip, right? There's all the, like, paddock gossip about who's doing this or who brought the new motor or the, the ace. This guy put a driver in his car this year and now that guy's way out front or different sorts of stuff. Swapped um, his tires after practice. Yeah. Put the Hoosiers on for the race. Well, see, you know, yeah, yeah. you know all the stuff, right? And so... People um, refer to second as outside pole. You, you know, you know they're uh, you know they're competitive. Yeah, I mean, seeing some of that sort of stuff, which as a spectator, which is me, like sitting, no joke, like in the bleachers watching this stuff. You have a ton of distance. You don't really see who's inside the helmet. You, uh, you know, I just judge everybody by you know if they hopefully don't make some huge mistake. If they look pretty clean going through stuff, they're pretty fast. Their car's beautiful. I'm like, that must be a great, you know, great person to have around. I love it. Right. But then you get into the, you get into the paddock and you hear all the backstories and you hear the guy who, you know, you know, went wide in turn four last year. So now he's like, you know, being, being hounded by all these other guys or, you know, he blew out somebody's taillight last time. So now everybody's out to get it. There's so many, narratives going on that you have no idea when you're when you're like me and and you know just sitting kind of watching stuff but yeah I had a couple glimpses into that and in the driver's meeting and with you and and your circles in the paddock um, and experiences there I'm sure you hear all these layers of this stuff right there's definitely yeah definitely uh uh long-standing deep-seated uh you know kind of familial ties in these groups my favorite is like the Trans Am group which is uh, a great uh uh Group of probably twenty five or thirty cars. It's a lot of the same guys that show up. They do. They go all over the U.S. But Trans Am can be, you know, big Boss three hundred twos and that sort of stuff. But it can also, to your earlier point, that can be an Alpha GTA or that can be a Datsun, right? So there's kind of a hierarchy within. When you say Trans Am, what are you talking about? Uh, I feel like yeah. Now, uh, more recently, they've they've um, they've separated the big bore and small bore cars, and yeah, kind of the the uh, SCCA Trans Am five uh, tens uh, and Alphas and two thousand twos got the their own group but um you know i think of like the javelins and the barracudas yes. and and uh and mustangs all and those. all that stuff mm-hmm. and those guys they they're sharp they, they do some level some level of kind of theatrics and um you know designing the race to to be uh, very visually pleasing for the spectators mm-hmm. um but also like you know at a certain point go out there and you know race each other 
Um, yeah, man, I, I, I love that. I would love to. Uh, I would love to drive in that group. One okay, day. cool. Yeah, I want to hold on. We'll definitely get to that in terms of what you want to be racing and what you may we may see you in before long. Um, but something, yeah, those guys do. They always had sort of the Trans Am alley in the pits, right? And so all the cars are together. So you're walking down it, and it's like javelin you know boss 302 sunoco camaro and they had like two of those sunoco camaros back in the day that were actually donahue cars and now there's like 11 of them racing in various states of who knows what uh fighting over uh chassis numbers and then yeah i mean that that whole scene what was it the sam posey cuda or the one that's like navy with orange orange on the side of it number Mm -hmm. 40 49 48 anyway those cars man i mean i i I love that group. I was always B Sedan, uh, or sorry, B Production. You know, Shelby sixty five, sixty six Shelby's was my favorite group. But the the you couldn't beat the the Trans Am group. But I, I mean, I was shopping cars online like I'm always doing, and I tripped across a mini the other day which said Trans Am history or whatever. Right in the small bore. Uh, the four-cylinder cars that were battling in Trans Am, I guess they were on track at the same time because I was looking at this this funny little uh, white Mini um, that I think Innis Ireland drove, if you're down with that name. And uh, it's like Trans Am legit history, all this sort of stuff. And they showed a picture of it on some paddock at Marlboro or wherever, some old school track with no run out and really old school. And there's, yeah, the front of the, the, front of the grid... These huge monster Boss 302 cars and that sort of stuff. And then on the back of the grid, there's like a Cortina and a Mini. Like, I would just think they would just get demolished being on the same track as those big cars. But it was really more of a, uh, like, modern sports car racing where there's these, you know, huge variants in performance and horsepower. And they're on the same track. And it's kind of dangerous. But back then, they were after it. So I've, I've always thought that was interesting when people were talking Trans Am, which is why I grilled you. And it's it's like... Is uh you know is Trans Am in your mind these like you know Parnelli Jones type cars, um, or is it you know the smaller smaller bore equally competitive but smaller bore type stuff? Totally. If you if you go look at the old race results, it's it's all very accessible. Go down to the bottom of the grid, and you'll be you'd be surprised at what cars you might find there. Right? Like, oh, I didn't know that they ran that. Like, we just had a, a auction for a '78 IMSA Mazda 808. Um, like. I don't even know what that. I don't even know that existed, right? There's all these. <laughs> what is that? Describe that. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a B sedanish, 1.6 liter, four cylinder kind of. I don't know, kind of shitbox thing. Okay. Um, but so that's like them. a streetcar ish shell. I don't even Correct. know what an 808 is. I thought that could have been a Formula race car for kind all. Of I know. Looks like a Mercury Capri okay. a little bit. Okay. Yeah, that kind of that style. Interesting. Okay, and turn it into a race car, and that thing had legit history, huh? But there's guys out there, right? If you if you're smart about it, and and you're a real true enthusiast, right? Go go pick an era you 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 love, find a car that everyone's forgotten about that was there, and you know that that gets accepted because you know what? That's historic and authentic, and it, it deserves to be there. Yeah, and and it's unusual, and and people like seeing stuff that they never see, you know, dragged out. Not that another Boss three hundred two in full, you know. Uh, you know, Trans Am spec is not wonderful to look at, but yeah, the, the esoteric stuff is really cool to see brought out. Um, but yeah, circling back, what uh, what racing cars are firing you up? I know you've spent more recently some time in a couple Alphas. 
your Dotson stuff we've covered pretty well. We covered the 31 Chrysler, which is the curveball. There's probably some other, maybe some other alphas in there. What was in between the first day and the 31 Chrysler and more recent in Dotson? Yeah, I got the chance to drive a guy's Alpha GTA, uh, which was definitely a dream come true for me being a big alpha guy. Um, stuff I'd love to drive. I'm, I have... Uh, taken an interest in kind of 1990s to 2000 era NASCARs. There's so many of them. They're all still around. You see the 43 Petty ish car that we just sold. And it was That's tw- right. 25 grand. And that was that was an earlier car though. That yeah, was a like little a, bit. But but it, 90, it, it was, and Petty never drove it. But it was Petty Enterprises or whatever. And it was some driver that was sounded legit from the early 2000s or, or late totally. 90s or something. And it, I mean, 25 G's and a legit. Uh, you know, numbered NASCAR uh, Cup car. I mean, yeah. I think I think I would love to see that group blow up. And maybe some of our listeners know. I mean, if you if you're living in Atlanta or whatever, I mean, maybe those groups are the massive groups down there running vintage uh, NASCAR stuff. I don't see that as much out here. I mean, we, I've seen a few sort of special groups that have been put together, but it's not the norm. Have you seen those on track out here? No, the, the closest we get, there's like the drum break NASCAR group, which yeah. is which is wonderful. Yep. Um, but no, a full grid of, of the later cars, like they're super safe. Like the brake pads are six inches thick, like... Like it's not. I guess my point is they're not like that hard to maintain. Uh, yeah. If you're versus you know yeah. talking about C7R Pratt and Miller vets, yeah, like no, they're no, they're pretty straightforward. Like mm-hmm. you can, you know, someone halfway savvy around cars can like wrench on them, and uh, yeah, no. So that's uh, that's kind of on my radar. Maybe I can take up the mantle on that for I, NorCal. I love that you're watching those. I mean, I, I would love to know if you had one of those. I mean, obviously you can just go work on your. Uh, you know, Ricky Bobby uh, by yourself, or is there a place that you could go run those, right? I mean, is there a place you could get eight or nine of those together and actually go run them? Every time I've seen them, uh, it's been like a track day, and it's like, I mean, it, it raises all the eyebrows. Everybody's like, wow, like that guy just, you know, you fire it up in the transporter and back it out, and everybody circles around because it's got a, you know, 600 horsepower. Uh, you know, Roush small block in it, and <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, open open pipes out the side, uh, which gets everybody's attention. But the question is, I mean, it, it's really awesome if you could get a bunch of them on track. And I haven't seen that, but I, I'm I have to think with the popularity of NASCAR and the more regional popularity of it that you know off weekends on at talladega or whatever there's got to be people running those cars or even road atlanta or uh you know a bunch of different tracks there must be you must be able to get 20 of those together three times a year right or maybe 40 of them together you know that many times a year um i don't know i'd I'd love to look into that and figure out where you could actually do that i would love to just go spectate that because Spectating at modern NASCAR is is cool and interesting, but the cars, the, the iconic cars from you know ten, twenty, thirty years ago, um, are not super vintage looking. But they are that was just the time, right? When the car, um, there were more manufacturers involved. They were less aerodynamic. They were a little brickish. You're talking like like the like the Jeff Gordon car we sold earlier than that. Yeah, that sort of thing. All the way, you know, Bill Elliott. Thunderbirds, right? Like, I mean, all that stuff. 80s, 90s, into Bill 2000s. Elliott, McDonald's, Bill Elliott. Yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, Bud King of Beers, right? Or no, Coors. He had Coors That's on the right. side That's of the... Right. Of the uh, he may have switched back and forth between those brands, but definitely had the Golden Arches on the hood for a little while. Um, anyway, so all of those cars are just so cool. And to your point, I mean, we're talking about... 
I mean, that what did that C7R sell for? Like eight hundred grand, something crazy. NASCARs you're getting into for between twenty and fifty k, call it. Um, it just seems like that could be such a lively uh, race group. So anyway, I'm going to dig that up a little bit. I'm going to research that, figure out where people are running those. I think I definitely think you ought to get into one of those. For me, if I, you know, obviously worked on some skills and got some licensing uh, sorted out, spent some more time on track. Um, I've always loved the, you know, um, Speedster versus Julieta, sort of 1600cc, two liter and lower, late 50s cars. Um, there's a lot of weird variety in that group, um, and you can you can run some really cool stuff. Um, I've always loved the 3.0 CS. It's one of my favorite cars of all time, but those got pretty hairy by the time those got on track, right? 3.5 Honstuck CSLs. That's a serious group. Winged cars and stuff. Yeah, I don't think I could really hang with, with that group. I think that, you know, that starts to be super high speed and super high stakes. What I like about some of those earlier cars, yeah, you mentioned drum brakes and, and different sorts of stuff. Um, even C1 Vet, I could get into C1 Vet, right? They didn't get too fast. C2 vets I could maybe get with. But, yeah, once you get to C3 and, like, Spirit of America, like, huge wings and, you know, what are they called? Greenwood, Greenwood vets. Yeah, yeah, Greenwood vets yeah. and stuff. I mean, once you start to eclipse, you know, like 180 uh, at Lamar or whatever, I mean, it, it gets out of control. Even, like, the CSLs, like, they're at the back of the pack, typically. Like, yeah. it's like they got nothing for, like, the RSRs and, and the stuff that, that typically sort of runs stuff. in the front. But, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, there's... CSL race prepared is no slouch. Yeah, guys running, yeah, 934s, 935s, that sort of stuff. That's way beyond my uh, capability level and budget level. And I, But I've just, man, I've, I love race prep. And I love, actually, on the earlier cars, I really like the similarity to the street cars, right? On the, on the modern 100%. stuff. And even the NASCAR stuff, obviously, you've totally diverged from anything uh, production uh, line. Um, oriented and but the old cars i mean the 356s that are out there yeah they they have a crazy cam in them and they won't idle on the street and that sort of stuff but uh it's pretty pretty i mean different maybe different brake pad linings but i mean it's pretty much looks a lot like a car that you'd see on the road with the hubcaps pulled off and a roll bar in it right and you talked about jags earlier you were kind of tongue-in-cheek about you know whether it's whatever triumphs or jags or that whole crowd um those guys, there's a famous one you probably know in CSRG or wherever, they, the guy with the white XK120 that was like famous for driving it two hours to the track, racing, driving it, parking it outside at the hotel. From Reno, it no, he still comes out. He's yeah. a Reno guy. Okay, anyway, yeah. that dude was always just sort of a legend. And he was, I don't know, mid-pack, back a pack or whatever, but he's just absolute legend uh, status because it is a street car. That's another thing. Running cars on track that have plates on them with current stickers on them. Like, I just love that. Less and less than that. But yeah, totally. (laughs) I loved it. I thought that was just so cool because you're like, oh yeah, we're just going to drive this thing to dinner tonight, you know? Maybe we'll... uh, We'll strap a you know glass pack muffler on it, or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll put earplugs in and you know go to uh, go to Tarpy's for dinner down the street from the track. So anyway, that sort of stuff I've always liked and has seemed really accessible and interesting. And it's it's almost just like you're a performance driver, but you want to keep it quasi safe by doing it on the track instead of driving your XK120 at 85 miles an hour up uh, you know a two lane country road where you may cause some problems you 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 actually do take it to the track and do that sort of stuff yeah to your point i think i think that maybe is getting less and less but 
that was my favorite stuff as a kid. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I love you. You'd be down. We, we could put you in like a galaxy lightweight. That's 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 very much uh, over home plate for you. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I love that era. Part of it is like how fast do you want to go, right? It's like I think a lot of this stuff is cool. What do I want to race? Like, do I need to go 180 miles an hour in an F1 car? Like, no, I really don't. Yeah. Like, you know, you want you want close racing, but and the guys that want to do that, like, good for them. Like the whatever McLaren K&M car I referenced, but yeah, I mean, I think you can get 90% of the thrill and avoid 90% of the uh, death machine. Uh, angle so i'm with you on that yeah so um the race car category on bat we see a bunch of cars there like where does this stuff come from are you you mainly see people people aren't flipping these cars right because to your point the audience is pretty pretty narrow on most of them but i mean are these are we seeing people that have had these cars for 50 years and they're kind of hanging up their helmet it's like kind of over and they're gonna you know retire or move on to something else or or are there younger folks that they've lost their interest? Like they're they're gonna they're gonna go race speedboats now, or they're gonna like go do something else crazy because they're like daredevils and this was just a season. Um, or I'm I'm always wondering like like who are these people and where are they coming from and why are they why why are they selling this or did they find it you know at some estate sale like like this thing is you know, some old dusty race car that needs to be recommissioned. What are you seeing on cars coming across? Yeah, I think it's all of that. It's some people that are retiring and hanging it up. It's some people that, you know, uh, you know, race their Sprite and now they're going to step up to, you know, a group six Mustang. So that Sprite's going to go. Um, or, or people that bought a car to do an event and you did that event. Like the best uh, example for me is like, we've sold a couple really awesome, like La Carrera Studebakers. Um, which, speaking of NASCARs, is basically just a NASCAR with a Studebaker commando body on it. But, yeah, man, that's like BAT is an awesome place to sell that, right? If you want to do that event, you're kind of like, well, I want to go to Mexico. I want to race. Like, it's pretty daunting to, like, if you want to do it, like, how are you actually going to get to the starting line? Like, it's it's not just, like, buy a ticket the week before and arrive and drive. Uh, so some of these guys have sold these, you know, crazy La Carrera prepared Studebakers. And if you want to do that event, that car pops up. It's, like, kind of plug and play. Like, that's the dream right there. That guy ran the event last year. The car finished. And uh, I don't know from experience, but I can guarantee you, I think, if I drove a Studebaker on La Carrera and I finished, I probably wouldn't need to do it again. I'd probably be ready to move it on to the next guy who wants that experience. Um, So, yeah, definitely definitely that's in play. Yeah. Why are we uh, limiting ourselves to racetracks, right? I mean, there's some of those, those sort of events that are totally crazy. Um, and yeah, I was, I was really hot to feature as many La Carrera cars, uh, as I possibly could. Right. I mean, they they had like a pretty hokey, like, uh, website message board, like cars for sales section that I used to troll. Uh, this is like, oh, oh, seven, eight, nine, uh, featuring that stuff on BAT. And then, yeah, La Carrera cars started to pop up here every once in a while. Um, and I got to go visit, visit the event and track the event. Uh, as a as a you know sort of support helper uh, with a buddy of mine and man what a what an event that was and weird cars Studebaker is super popular Volvos were super popular uh, a few Porsches few Alphas uh, international clientele re- really interesting stuff I always really liked those uh, cars and their prep because. They were a little visually chaotic because they like make you put 800 stickers on it. <laughs> Definitely chaotic. Right? Yeah. Yes. But the, so they never looked like super beautiful usually, but they uh, were built like with robustness in mind, right? Like they 
bottom these things out over like speed bumps on these roads and terrible roads and all that stuff. Uh, obviously, there's all the historical lore of that event, but I mean, we've featured everything from Datsuns that ran that event to uh, yeah, some Mercedes Fintails that ran that event, and and just really wild, cool, different stuff. That's a wild um, event, man. Talk about people that want to win. Yeah, I mean that that yes, that place does have some some egos and some legacy and some nationalism and you know scrutineering there is is totally crazy. We could do a whole show on just the the Carrera. We should do a, a show on the Carrera while we we're could bring on some guests, uh, people we know that have done it. Yeah. Like that's like for me, that might be too intense for me. Like, do you need to enter that corner so fast that you might go off the cliff? Like, do you need do you need to finish the day? I mean, a couple seconds ahead. Yeah, after we followed the event, like people are like, "What'd you learn? Do you want to go do it?" And I was like, "No, I do not. I do not want to go do it. I would love to like go watch it again, though, with all the towns and the and the you know the miles they cover and the the topography and the the people and the food. I mean, all the stuff. It's just like a, a crazy, wonderful experience for the senses. But it's." Um, you know, I'm I'm already talking about how like I wouldn't drive anything without drum brakes on a U.S. track that's like perfect blacktop, and these guys are like you know launching cars off cliffs and stuff, doing things that are uh, definitely suspect if you uh, if you want to come home in one piece. But more power to them. I mean, cool cars, cool things going on. Um, I'm trying to think of other events like that. I mean, my uh, this will be a topic for another show too. But racing. I mean, I started thinking about like off road and Baja racing and trucks and all that sort of stuff. Trans Siberian. Oh my goodness! Yeah, long distance rally. I mean, there's there's so many cool, interesting uh, things. I don't know if we've listed a legit like Dakar entry type car on BAT before. Obviously, there's a lot of safari tributes and different sorts of things that people are. Uh, building these days and running off-road. But I don't know if we've listed an actual either Perry Dakar or modern version of the Dakar Rally entrant or finisher uh, in BAT auctions. I'd have to go look that My up. favorite event from that era is Marathon de la Route. Uh, what's cool about that, it was, I think it was 84 hours, but uh, what people forget is two drivers and the rules uh, said that you could not have any mechanical support. So the drivers could fix their car, but if you broke, you were done. The drivers could work on their car, but that was it. It was the true test of endurance and, uh, you know, reliability and durability. So what's the geography for that? Where was that? Across Uh, Europe or was that somewhere remote? I think it was mostly in France, but all over, you know, yeah. Check out Marathon de la Route. Uh, guys, it's just some good awesome. videos and, and photo galleries from that. Um, Nine fourteen six GTs. There you go. Doing that that event, then it got. I think it turned into something else. But the, yeah. uh, the early the early days, golden era of that is yeah. uh, is so awesome. A lot of cigarette smoking. A lot of like shirtless mechanics. Right, like lot, all that crazy crazy stuff. Uh, I love all. all Dude, of when I went to Nurburgring like ten years ago, uh, we did. You know, you can go on Sundays and get the jar pass and whatever hundred euro. You can go rip around for ten laps, which is like you know one hundred and fifty miles. But I like walked onto the pit lane and like pit lane at Nurburgring, like just like by the K uh, by the K wall. It's just like cigs. Like it's <laughs> on the ground. A, you mean yeah, or people in hand? No, or you oh, mean on oh, the ground? On the ground. Like it's yeah, just, yeah. it was just such a great little like brief anecdotal moment for me. Like you would never see this. Like especially in <laughs> California, going to a racetrack. But I was like, well, this is this is like literally a thousand cigarette butts here from all the races that would have been happening. So yeah, that was pretty awesome. I don't know why I just thought of that. I love that. No, that's that's the flavor over there for sure. But yeah, in those old events, I mean, all the cars were sponsored by. 
tobacco, and then it was just yeah all over the place in all those photos. But a bygone era. But there's still some crazy stuff and and retro events that that are doing that and people building race cars and rally cars and Carrera cars and track cars. Um, but yeah, just to bring it back around um, and and uh, to some more sort of close by events. Uh, are there any, any uh, racing events that you'd love to hit in the next couple of years or that are kind of bucket list that, you know, if you could if you could drive that track or if you could drive that car or drive that event that that they're on your list? One I'd love to do, which I went as a spectator, is the summer July vintage event at uh, Road America. Um, the event's cool, but uh, that takes place in Elkhart Lake, which is a super awesome uh Wisco Midwest town and it has a population of 700 people but for that event 20,000 people show up and uh, it's all around the town parked in the square uh, people are walking around drinking their spotted cow shout out to people who know about spotted cow and you were there as a spectator but have never raced it I want to go back is yeah. that right yeah that's so right would, that was a couple years ago wasn't it actually I don't know if I mean it's pretty awesome as a spectator um, the racing is good too that track is awesome um, yeah but that's that's uh, that's on my list yeah, no, that'd be that'd be a good one. I I did not get to go. BAT did an event at that track. I have not been to that track. That's still one where I've never been, where I would like to go. Like like for example, uh, what's the what's the famous bar? Seedkins, uh, which is uh, the famous bar there in downtown Elkhart. And like I was walking around at like ten or eleven p.m. and like Brian Redman walks out of Seedkins and like I chatted with him for like ten minutes. Amazing. Uh, so that's pretty awesome, right? Oh yeah, that's unbelievable. Kind of kind of old timey, you know. Uh, some of those small towns where the where the tracks were sort of remote, um, and and maybe are lucky to have stayed a little bit remote now, and they still have some sort of flavor like that, as opposed to Riverside or wherever else, right, where it got you know bowled over by condo developments or housing developments and didn't survive past the eighties. Well, Elkhart's also cool because before the track was built, there was a road course on the public roads that went through the town, and that town really embraces the motorsports heritage in a really cool way and every corner has like a landmark mile marker um so everyone there is super is super plugged into the car world um i think i was 57 so not unlike not unlike uh pebble beach road races and then they finally built laguna in 57 very similar thing happened in wisconsin but uh yeah, anyways, I could we could do a whole podcast. Let's go there. Dor- Let's dorky fifties. Do the podcast there. You know what I mean? I want to hang out in that bar and and uh, and do it there and hang out and and see some of that racing. I'd love I'd love to visit that and yeah, tracing the steps of the old road course sounds super awesome. So yeah, anyhow, those are a, a bunch of ways to come at uh, race cars. You know, we just. Howard and I will see one car come across BAT and it can spur a hour-long conversation like this about all sorts of aspects of that car and, and where our mind goes and different experiences that we've had. We'd love to hear your guys' experience and what questions you may have for us or uh, other guests. We're excited for the uh, upcoming sort of a role of guests we're going to get going to. So podcast at bringatrailer.com. You can always hit us with questions there. Um, or when we post these, obviously there, there sometimes becomes a, a lively comment discussion, uh, right there where we're posting the podcast and then, um, yeah, hit us up with any other suggestions and, uh, thanks so much for listening today. Mm-hmm.